Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome to the WP Tonic Show. And this is episode 330. And as you might guess, I'm not Jonathan Denwood. I'm filling in for Jonathan Denwood as host. This is John Locke. But Jonathan's here and we've got a small, powerful panel. We're going to discuss the latest news in WordPress and the web. So let's introduce everybody else. And we'll start with Sally. All right. My name is Sally Getch. I am a WordPress consultant as WP Fangirl. I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. And uh, I am uh, glad to be back after a few days away. Yeah. Nice. And then Chris. I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, which is a tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast, and I am an organizer of the Portland, Maine WordCamp, which is happening on November 3rd. And if you go, if you come, this you can stick your head and get your picture inside my rocket there. So how much snow is there in Portland, Maine in November? Probably not much. It's on the coast. Oh, there you go. Well, and... Um... Do you introduce me, John? Nah, you don't get no introduction. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, no, go ahead. You need go no ahead. introduction. Everyone knows who you are. Tell us who oh. you are. Well, I'm the normal host, but I'm on holiday mode, folks. I'm visiting relatives, friends. I'm seeing Lee Jackson next week. I'm, I'm uh, going up north to see Lee. Should be IRL. And I'm going to be live on one of his podcasts. So I'll be able to cause mayhem there, won't I, John? It's only oh, fair. It's Sounds awesome. It does sound I'm going to enjoy destroying his show, but I haven't told him that yet. And uh, <laughs> I might be leaving soon, folks, because I'm going to see my nephew. Um, he's supposed to be picking me up in 10 minutes. But I thought I would join our great panel and start the show off. So what's the first story, John? First story. Well, uh, hold on here. Let me look at the list. Oh, first story. This one was really interesting. The, and this was from the Tavern. And it was Gutenberg Cloud, a cross-platform community library for custom Gutenberg blocks. And basically, the uh, Drupal team, the Drupal community has tagged themselves in with a hot tag. And they're, uh, they've developed a kind of a cloud um, repository of blocks. And I know Chris has a few thoughts on this I'd like to hear. So I find this really interesting in terms of how open source uh, GPL projects work together. And um, in tech, there's often all these, you know, layers to what actually creates the website and this whole concept of block sync, uh, different companies that are in some many ways competitors working together is really interesting to me. And instead of um, kind of having it, you know, the Drupal way or the WordPress way, seeing some collaboration, I think, is really powerful because it's easy to get in a dualistic thinking. Like you have to either be a Drupal person or you have to be a WordPress person or you have to be a Wix person or whatever. But uh, sometimes in conflict, I do believe in. Um, healthy competition and the power of the open market. But sometimes there's a phrase called transcending and including. So instead of just constantly being in battle, 
if there's a way you can transcend the current situation to either solve a problem or take advantage of an opportunity and, in, and be inclusive with your solution, it's just a different way of, you know, seeing the world. And uh, it's kind of a, um, it's a less like black and white binary way of thinking, which a lot of innovation can come out of. So I'm really excited to see where it goes to see if blocks can in fact be shared across different publishing platforms. One day I'll sell you this. One of the comments that somebody made in here is this could become the head for headless CMSs because the, the goal of this block repository is to be platform agnostic. I think these are mostly JavaScript-based blocks, but it, how could this um, project help both the WordPress and Drupal communities? Well, I find it really interesting that um, the Drupal community just jumped all over Gutenberg, or at least that's my perspective from outside it based on, you know, some conference talks about it and the fact that this, you know, somebody said, yes, let's do Gutenberg for, you know, and, and made their project and, you know, and, and the WordPress uh, devs have been much more anxious uh, about it. And I think some of it is that one of the Drupal lectures talked about how the the data structure for Drupal is already really well suited to blocks and th therefore this is something that in, in some ways is easier for them to, uh, to implement. But I do think this is a, uh, you know, this is a cool idea. And also that, um, you know, so many people are already producing different uh, custom blocks for Gutenberg and a lot of them are repeating the same ones. Uh, you know, so it's got like, okay, do we really, do we really need like 15 different, you know, pricing table blocks uh, and possibly having a, a central repository will make people think, oh, okay, I don't need to create that. Somebody else did one. It's, it's pretty good. Um, it's customizable enough that, that I can use it in the ways I want it. But I see that even with, you know, however many dozens of, of blocks there are here, uh, they don't have one for this. And, you know, my company or my client needs one like this and, you know, I'm going to make it and then I'll put it in here uh, in, in case it's useful to, to someone else. So I, I really like this uh, idea. I like the, uh, the cross-platform notice because I do think that's sort of like, yes, this is what open source is supposed to be like. Um, I also think it could get really interesting in the competition department if, uh, you know, Drupal ends up with an easier user interface as, as a result of this. I mean, right now their market share is small, although what they tend to have is, is large enterprise clients. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that, you know, WordPress uh, needs a little competition and uh, to see people uh, working on, uh, working on similar stuff. Uh, so I, I, <clears throat> I am really interested to see where this is uh, going to go. And, and I think the, uh, the enthusiasm of the Drupal community maybe uh, can teach some of the WordPress community a lesson about this. Definitely. Jonathan, any thoughts on this? I just, I just think it's a win-win. Like um, Chris was saying, you know, um, I think hopefully... Um, you know, you can see where it would get some clear benefits for the Drupal community because what's the point of having to build in JavaScript your own library if you 
can share uh, and help develop um, existing library, which would benefit both Word, WordPress and Drupal. I just see it's a great win-win situation, really. Yes, the, the, the idea of a universal head for the headless CMS, I'm not a headless CMS expert, but I think it could be very helpful to the end user if they had a user interface that was consistent across systems and uh -huh. you didn't have to learn something new every time. Now, I doubt it can really be universal, but it could be, you know, uh, in both WordPress and and uh, and. Drupal and, and any other open source platform that wants to take it up. Oops, Jonathan has vanished. I suspect his nephew has arrived. Yeah, could be. For homemade British cooking. Oh, very good. Well, we're going to move on to this next story and we're going to switch the pace up to the world of marketing. And this is a video from Professor Scott Galloway and the folks at L2 called the gangsta marketing move of 2018. And damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Uh, but this is all about Nike uh, choosing Colin Kaepernick as the spokesperson for their, you know, uh, just do it campaign. Uh, you know, the, concurrently, they've also got some campaigns with Serena Williams uh, and, and some other people that are less known, but this seemed to kick up some controversy. You know, uh, Sally, what are your thoughts on this? Is this a, a, a win for Nike or was this a, a bad it, move on their part? I think it's almost certainly a win for Nike. Uh, I mean, one thing that, you know, should be pointed out is that um, Colin Kaepernick was already one of the spokesmodels for uh, Nike. So they, they didn't like just bring him on board for this. But also, you know, they're looking at who they're mainly marketing to. And uh, Kaepernick has lots of, um, you know, sympathy from the sort of younger and more liberal uh, <clears throat> crowd. And so I think that even though, yes, there's been some controversy and some people uh, burning their Nikes and, and so on, that, you know, this would not have happened if uh, Nike didn't think that it was going to be, you know, good for their sales and their, and their brand overall. Um, it's more common for companies to take some kind of a stand on something uh, or appear to do so. I mean, you don't want to do it so disingenuously that, that, you know, that it's really obvious, uh, but, you know, and I don't know what the, uh, where they're, beliefs fall in in things but while it's uh you know we all know provoking controversy gets you attention online mm -hmm. uh so uh, that you shouldn't be afraid to if you know if if this is a thing that you think is the is the right thing to do whether that's you know you're thinking it's the right thing to do morally or the right thing to do from a business perspective you have to be willing to uh, to risk pissing some people off if you want to actually um, represent anything to the point where people can love you. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And and like I said, Jonathan chose the story and I was a little surprised, but, you know, maybe not. Um, but I think this is a good move on Nike's part. I know why they would do this. It's it from a purely capitalistic standpoint, they're looking at, a global market. They're a global brand. They're trying to, uh, you know, look at the future. And um, 
this kind of reminds me, I mean, and, and Kaepernick is protesting police brutality against, you know, black and, and other minority segments of the population. But it reminds me of kind of the silent protests of Jesse Owens at the Olympics or uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali uh, protesting the Vietnam War and, and doing jail time. I want to know Chris's thoughts on this. I find it really interesting and just a, a background on my personality or my style is I have what I call the uh, Jomo, which is called the joy of missing out. And what that <laughs> means, I don't have a TV. I don't watch the news. Uh, so I, I'm very, I don't know. When I first saw this come up, I didn't even know who this guy was. There's like TV shows that everybody knows about. I've never heard of. Like I just recently found out who Kim Kardashian was. That's how bad it is. But you, you were the joy of missing out is definitely correct in that case. <laughs> and then this is uh, so when I see something like this come up, I, I get interested because it seems like, oh, something's going on in society that I, maybe I'll check this out. So I kind of looked into it. And uh, from a marketing perspective, there's a lot of things going on here. One of them is when you have every brand needs celebrity endorsements or it's nice to have if you can get it, especially if you're a mega brand. There's also a trend in marketing and, and just online presence right now where people have their BS meters are off the chart. So they want authenticity. They don't want overproduction. They don't want too polished. They don't want too perfect. So I think picking somebody who is not just squeaky clean, whether it's this guy or Tiger Woods or Bill Clinton or whoever it is, uh, that's just kind of like the imperfection is now the new black. And some marketers even call that in something called the character diamond, a it's like a kryptonite where you're what you're I'm not necessarily saying it's a weakness, but just your imperfection or your whatever it is for you as a personal brand is now just as important as the things you're good at. So that's that's just an interesting thought. Another thing is. um, It's. I, I'm just, as somebody who doesn't really follow news, haven't had a TV in like 20 years and stuff like that, obviously I'm aware of what's going on in the political debate somewhat by, I just can't help it when I walk into an airport or something like that. But I have never seen in our society such a, how politic, how politics have become so much like shock entertainment value. So the fact that Nike is doing, you know, shock marketing or controversial marketing, it's no surprise. And with privacy these days and what's possible with, uh, you know, knowing about people and how stories spread and stuff like that, it's almost impossible for anybody to be completely perfect and maintain like an ironclad persona online if you've done anything. And I, I would love to hear Sally's points on this. Um, political correctness is, I mean, it, there's two sides to that debate. Like, should should people take a knee? Should they not? Um, I, I'm a believer in, like, freedom of expression and free speech and freedom of opinion and everything. So, uh, but it's polarizing. And there's also some marketing advice out there that if you're going to do content marketing, or something like that, at least once a year, you, you should do something that's like really shocking and controversial. So maybe this is Nike's this year. So those are some thoughts. Right. I mean, as, as I said in our Slack channel before, uh, yeah, whether, whether uh, you know, this is 
politically correct, either for Nike or or for Kaepernick, is <clears throat> kind of uh, depends on what your politics are. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people for whom, um, you know, it's absolutely the correct thing to do to engage in peaceful protest and <clears throat> uh, that sort of thing. And and you know, I mean, there is a lot of police brutality against you know, particularly the. Uh, and black people in, in America. And that's, you know, something to call attention to, uh, you know, and there are other people who think, you know, the, this is uh, disrespecting the flag or the national anthem or, or uh, the, you know, military personnel who are, uh, and any of that. And I don't think any of that was ever in the intention, uh, but, uh, you know, for those people, clearly, uh, what Kaepernick is doing is is not politically correct and and maybe uh, very upsetting. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is where the controversy uh, seems to seems to come from. But yeah, it's you know, this is not a uh, something with an with a really absolute answer. It de- depends on you know where in the in the spectrum, uh, you fall, and it's not even are you or or are you not a patriot? Because uh, it, you may well feel that you know this freedom of expression that that people have used to to protest over the years is part of what makes America a, a, a great place to to live. That you know we don't suppress uh, this kind of of dissent when it's not. Uh, actually, you know, threatening to people. So, yeah, there's there's lots of room uh, for debate, and this is a very polarized uh, time in in our uh, in our history. I don't think that you know uh, it required amazing bravery on the part of of Nike or or anything like that. I I think that if they really thought that it was going to you know, completely tank their stock and their sales, they would not have done it. No, and I, I think you're right. And and like I said, we, this could be a decades long <laughs> discussion on, you know, just a, a lot of different things like, you know, how different people see the world and, and interpret things. Obviously, Nike thought that, you know, the, 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 the way that they see this, um, whole situation is they obviously think that there's they're going to gain more market share or more you know positive publicity from this than negative and i agree with chris sometimes you have to do things that are polarizing and put your uh stake in the ground and that's part of branding that's part of uh stating what your position is and you know sometimes people won't agree with it but that's okay um, so we're going to move on to the third story, which is I dismantled Google's tracking systems and here's what happened. That comes from the next web. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Chris. Um, so basically in this article, somebody, you know, disabled the, as much Google tracking stuff and a couple things, the two main points I think are that there was still tracking going on after he turned everything off. And then the other point was the device and the experience became a lot less useful in terms of, you know, helping him find things and how fast the, the device operated the iPhone or the Android or whatever it was. Um, 
So it's it's just an interesting debate. I don't think the answer is ever to just go back. I, I'd be the first person that people would think that I, I want people to go back and live off the land and just cut ties with technology. But this, again, is one of those kind of transcend and include moments that I think we just need to figure out how to navigate this. And Morton's not here. He's a champion of ethics. But this is an area where we really need to look at ethical implement, implications and also do a little future scenario planning as this technology advances and what, like, think about some situations that are going to pop up before they do. So one of the interesting things um, related to this, there's a great author. His name is Yuval Harari. He, he wrote the book Sapiens, and then he wrote a book called Homo Deus. And then he wrote a, a new book called 21 uh, Lessons. I forget the rest of the title. He's a deep thinker. Sapiens is an amazing book. But he's a hardcore thinker about these kinds of things, and especially this this um, future with technology. His thing is it's all about clarity, and there's going to be a moment, an inflection point, where the algorithms, the AI, the machine has more predictive capability than the human beings. And if you look at the intersection of infotech and biotech as an example of what I'm talking about here, based on big data. Um, uh, and, you know, diagnostic tests and pattern recognition, machines are going to become better that, at like predicting disease than doctors, individual doctors, because of the, the big data points and also catching things like cancer at earlier stages based on all that data and the early indicators and, you know, the, the post, you know, look back over the, the progression with, with all this data. Um, so... I think that's kind of cool, but it's also introduces a, you know, we need to think about this and be ready for that moment where Google knows where we want to go or what we want to buy before we do based on even indicators of, you know, that from our childhood or our relationships within Facebook of, you know, what our political party might be and all that. And it's not perfect and it doesn't always work correctly, but it's getting better and better over time. And having Amazon suggest products based on your buying history and other people like you, this is just the beginning. And uh, I think we need to embrace it, but do some ser put some smart people in a room together and like really start looking at the future and especially ethics and, um, you know, keeping it, keeping it under control. Well said. Um, I do think, I do agree with what you're saying that, you know, all these, platforms, whether it's Google, Amazon, Facebook, you know, Apple, Android, um, Twitter, whatever it is, it's basically all there to mine data so they can sell it back to uh, marketers. And, you know, I do agree that ethics uh, is important, but I, I'm not sure that it, that it jibes with, uh, you know, the function of what these platforms is, is basically to make money. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Sally, you know? Um, uh, yeah. Right. Well, I think part of the issue, ethically speaking, is not so much that they are collecting information about you, but that they had been collecting information about you without telling you they were doing it or telling you what they were doing with it. Um, I've noticed I, I'm running an, an ad blocker on one of my browsers and I just started doing this. And I noticed I go to the, a lot of these newspaper websites and they're like, you know, basically, please turn off your ad blocker because, uh, you know, it's basically either pay us money or turn off your, your ad blocker. And 
I can understand why they do that, except the reason that I put the ad blocker on there is that so many of these sites are unreadable. Uh, if you don't block the ads, you, you cannot actually see the content. So there has to be a balance somewhere between, uh, you know, the need to make money, which is a legitimate requirement, and uh, the need to give people, uh, you know, some autonomy and some degree of privacy. And yeah, I mean, in some ways, you wish that the uh, that the tracking was better because, you know, okay, so I spent, you know, months researching before I bought my car. I still see ads for that car. I bought it two years ago. Uh, so it's sort of like, yeah, well, could you be tracking enough to notice when I, I no, I didn't buy it online, but I don't think that that would make much difference because I've heard people talk about this, uh, this kind of experience before. But it's the idea of, oh, well, yeah, we took all your personal information and we sold it to somebody else without telling you that that might happen. And people will choose to trade quite a bit of information for access to stuff if they value it, but they need to have the choice. So it's kind of like, well, in one way, we want the tracking to be better because as it does say in, in the article, you know, sometimes they guess wrong about your demographic or, you know, even your, your, your age, your gender, your race, your, the, you know, the big issue that we've seen with um, how facial recognition works fairly well if you're a white man, but not so well for anybody else. Uh, and so you, you want people supervising to make sure that all the decisions aren't just automated. But I think that probably in a lot of cases, the machines can already do a better job of predicting and analyzing and, and so forth. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying about retargeting. Uh, I, I almost wonder if that would be more creepy, if, if it would know if you bought a certain product and then stopped showing you the ad altogether. I think that, that in some ways that might be more sinister. Uh, we're going to move on to the fourth I want a button. I can click yeah. to say, I already own it. You know, you can, mm. you can do that with like some of Amazon's recommendations, uh, to make them go away. I, I want a button. I can click on that ad that says I already own it. Go away. That might be good. Yeah. Um, our fourth story is coming to us from the studio press blog. And this is, entitled The Future of Gutenberg and Genesis. And I so, Sally. Wish, I so wish we had uh, <clears throat> Dr. Evil with us today because uh, he's the one who's always carrying on a, a, about the uh, obsolescence of, of Genesis. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, we know that WP Engine bought Studio Press recently and uh, they are investing resources into it that, that Studio Press wasn't able to before. So they're working hard on updating the way the Genesis framework operates uh, to work well with Gutenberg blocks. And I think this is uh, terrific because, you know, back in the day in, when did I start using Genesis? 2011, maybe. Uh, the way that they built their uh, homepages out of widgets was a very kind of clever workaround for the situation that it was tough to customize something like that because we just had this blob of an editor. Um, but, you know, that really kind of already jumped the shark with, with the launch of 
page builders and uh, now uh, the thought that you know okay well we can build these you know we can revise these child themes so that instead of these widgets they're using uh, Gutenberg block templates and it's so much easier for a client who wants to change something on the home page to go to the page that says home and find all this stuff laid out in there that they can either fill in or replace uh, than it than it is to say oh yeah well for the home page you got to go over to the widgets and then you need to you know that's just really kludgy and so um it's uh, i think inevitable that anybody who wants to survive has to keep up with this and it's good to see the confirmation that it's uh, that it's happening yeah definitely it's happening uh i wanted to ask you chris too one of the things that they mentioned in this article one of the things that they're worried about is they don't want it to be like a box of crayolas where they're you know you hand it over to a client and they're just picking colors that are not part of the 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 brand you know they they want to update all the genesis themes to where they're compatible with with gutenberg blocks uh but you know have some degree of control you know what are your thoughts on this i think it's a smart play for them to to you know go big into the blocks and theme compatibility and kind of take a lead there and i know just from wp engine and and knowing uh, Jason a little bit and some of his material, he's, and it's, you know, WP Engine is way bigger than just him now, but um, they're very good at like looking at the future and being strategic. So I have a lot of hope and optimism for whatever it is they are going to do. So I just want to say that. I was also on my podcast, LMS Cast, the episode isn't out yet, but yesterday I interviewed somebody named Jason Show who is the one of the founders of a, a video editing tool called Animoto, which allows you to put together little kind of marketing kind of videos for social media without being a visual or without being a video editor. It includes all the stock videos, stock photography. You can put your own stuff in there too. It's cool. It's 10 years old, the project. He's got over a million people on the platform. And one of the interesting things he said is he's trying to help people at level zero make decent videos. And we got into this big conversation about protecting users from themselves. And we know how in the WordPress ecosystem, as a, when you do client services as an agency or as a freelancer and you hand over a project, we all know that a client who doesn't have a design eye or a user experience kind of um, track record or anything like that. If, that, if those skills aren't develop, developed, they can quickly destroy the design and the user experience or the strategy of the website even. And so there's just a lot that goes into, you know, making a great website and website experience. So the fact that they're having a conversation around what do themes do in the future? Can we make blocks? Um, can, can the theme do some of the heavy lifting of design give people some options, marketers, it says in that article, you know, to make the buttons orange and yellow or whatever, but not totally brick the design of the site or have some consistency. If we start changing a button color on one page, maybe it's going to be a global thing. I don't know. But um, in the past, the themes did a lot of that. And some of them do what blocks kind of do little custom functionality pieces and you switch themes and the site breaks. 
but the utopia of being able to change themes that have some predefined design settings for blocks that give just the right amount of flexibility and control to site owners, non-technical people, quote, marketers, and have them be able to like modify things but not break uh, best practices in, in design and user experience and whatever typography. I think that's a really interesting idea. I hope they're heading in that direction. Yeah, I think it would be good if they did that um, as well. Uh, you know, make it customizable, but maybe have some sort of parameters that the you know developer sets uh, in coordination with them to where it just doesn't become uh, you know finger painting or whatever. You know, <laughs> right? Well, you can. I mean, you can already as a theme developer, you can already say, "Hey, I want to lock down the color palette to." these available colors. Um, and uh, so, <clears throat> you know, you may choose to th do that or you may choose to say, I want these to be the default colors. And, you know, if they're really determined to break their site, they can pick other colors. But we already have seen that the color picker in Gutenberg warns you uh, if you don't have a good, like a good enough color contrast ratio. So it will help to at least avoid you, help you avoid big, pitfalls for um, <clears throat> accessibility. Uh, but there's also, uh, you know, what I was doing for WordCamp Sacramento was, was creating a portfolio plugin that used uh, block templates for your portfolio post types. And you can set attributes on those so that it loads in with not just, you know, you have an image block here and you have a text block here and you have a heading block here. But if you want like big text for emphasis, you can say, I want to, you know, this should have the font size of, of you know, this one should be a, a large font and it should be bold or it should be a contrasting color or it should be, you know, whatever um, to create some consistency because it, it's kind of a fine line between trying to keep your, uh, you know, trying to keep the clients on brand because, uh, you know, either they have corporate standards for how they produce stuff or uh, you just don't want them to turn it into GeoCities. Um, and giving them freedom to do things that you might not previously have thought about them wanting to do because maybe they didn't mention that specific thing. Um, but then if you build something, you know, the, the way I always used to build this, kind of stuff, you know, with, with ACF. Well, if you put in a section where they can include a link to a different page in your site, but then they suddenly want to link to a page that's on another site and that's the wrong kind of a field, then they have to come back to you or, or you know, you have to change the, the, the field type or they have to change the field type. And and so, yeah, there, there's a tricky balance but between... Uh, trapping people and, you know, giving them guardrails so they don't fall off the cliff. No, and if, yeah, go ahead. I, I believe that this, this will help a lot uh, with that. No, absolutely. And I feel you on that. I de have developed a ton of sites using ACF uh, to kind of put those guardrails into where people just aren't, you know, doing WTF ever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it, it would be cool um, to 
see where Genesis and WPNs can take this as we move into a Gutenberg world. A last story on our agenda today is also from the tavern. Uh, Syed Belki and WP Forums have acquired Pirate Forums from Theme Isle. Uh, so obviously the play here is to retire this plugin because it, I guess theme I like this form is just not one of the uh, popular forms like WP forms or gravity forms or Caldera or Ninja forms. And the, the play is to get people to switch to WP forms. Maybe they're going to put some sort of nag in there. A lot of stuff getting acquired uh, this year. What, what are your thoughts on this, Chris? I think it's a good move. Great move by WP forms, especially if it was, um, kind of going out of style or, or limited flexibility, but it had a bunch of users. There's an opportunity there. Cause it, I like how it had like a single function. It was like simple contact form. Uh, and that's what pirate forms did. And it was really easy, but, and there's, it looks, you know, there's a lot of active loyal users. You can do that in the, in the free WP forms plugin. It makes sense. There's a, uh, there's a uh, book, like a business book, that was popular, I think, in the 90s called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yep. And he talks about this, these four types or, of um, ways of working. One's as the worker, one's as the manager, one is the business owner, and one is the investor. And we're starting to see the WordPress. So what I'm, what I'm saying here, what we're seeing from Syed and the team at Automotive or NWP Forms is... Um, they're definitely taking on the owner mindset, as we saw with the um, their accelerator program. They're getting into the investor style, and, and and in theory, you can grow faster that way. Whether you're acquiring users or acquiring um, people, staff, talented people, also called an aqua hire. Um, there's, it's just a, it can be a much faster way to grow than, uh, you know, so it's, it can it, it can accelerate growth. And when it's a win-win for both companies and the user base, and there's finances in place and cash flow to do it, so it's a no-brainer. So I'm, I'm glad to see it. It's just another signal that our ecosystem is, is maturing. And, you know, there's still healthy competition in the form space. This isn't a monopoly. Um, it's good. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask you uh, just a follow up to that before I move on to Sally. Do you think, uh, you know, it, it, like I was saying, there's there's there is a lot of matur maturation going on in the WordPress ecosystem. There's what do you think about? There's still room for lots of players to come up in in different categories. Yes or no? Yes, I think that uh, the Wild West easy days are are not. Um, those days have kind of come and gone in most in, in most known like areas or you know if you're going to build a plugin or an industry specific theme or whatever. The early days, when I started doing video marketing on YouTube, I remember doing this campaign for selling some real estate. I was paying like five cents a click, and, or something really cheap. Those, that's like the Wild West days. The Wild West days are kind of done, but I see plenty of room for opportunity. Uh, across even if you want to go into a crowded space or if you want to go into a blue ocean space um as long as the innovation is there and you know there's a saying whoever is closer to the customers win if you go to a form customer if you go to a page builder customer if you go to an lms customer 
and you really listen deeply of what they're do, what they're trying to achieve and what they're struggling with, there's room for innovation everywhere. <laughs> so um, I'm, I can be a little optimistic. And like I said, I have a JOMO issue. So maybe I'm not, there's some other news that I'm not aware of. But for me personally, uh, I see a lot of opportunity out there. And, you know, as long as WordPress can navigate this Gutenberg thing successfully, I think it's going to be a great thing. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to grow and we may look back at this moment in time and call it the early days. Yeah, most definitely. What are your thoughts on this, Sally? And, you know, what are your thoughts on um, what, what, are, what might be some other properties out there that might be ripe for acquisition? Um, you know, uh, acquiring a competitor in order to take them off the table is an old uh, time-honored uh, tradition. Uh, one of the interesting things about this is, you know, as, as one of the comments uh, says uh, <clears throat> that, you know, if, if it looked like uh, Pirate Forms was sort of going to die anyway, uh, then what is, you know, uh, what are they acquiring? They could probably have put out their their planned migration tool uh, regardless because, you know, people do that often for um, here. You know, if you switch to our product, we'll make it easy for you to move your stuff from, you know, competitor product. Um, and so what, you know, what are they, uh, what precisely are they getting out of it is kind of an interesting question in in this sense. But I think... You know, anything that you've that you've built up and it's fairly successful and there's some good stuff in it, but for whatever reason, you're not in a position to take it to the next level, but there's definitely a, a growing market for it. Um, that's something where there might be a you know an acquisition uh, happening or where somebody else can uh, see how they would monetize it uh, in a way that you didn't that you didn't think about. So I'm I'm not sitting around looking for stuff to invest in. That that's not my arena, uh, but I think you know there are going to be more of these uh, acquisitions and more consolidation. And at the same time, there is still it's like wow we have like you know however many tens of thousands of plugins, and yet um, you know there's really not a very good solution for X and. You might not encounter that until you are, you know, working for a client where suddenly they need X, and <clears throat> then you realize, oh yeah, there's still a lot of gaps here. That while people have created solutions for a lot of very common things, there are some less common things that people haven't been focusing on, and and where there's really uh, room for something. Yeah, definitely. And and I agree with what you're saying. Um, and I'm reading the comments here, too. And I'll be honest, I'm not super familiar with Pirate Forms. I use another one of the Miles products on my site right now. But I was not really aware of this one. And so I think that when it comes to really s simple contact forms, maybe this one was you know, number three or number four. And, uh, you know, like the uh, CEO from GE from the 1980s said, you want to be one or two. You don't want to 
that nothing really exists below either like one or two in a category in in the minds of the people. So, you know, this is just some sort of uh, euthanasia where uh, WP forums can acquire some more customers. So, you know, good for them. Um, I think there's definitely room for more players in a lot of spaces. You know, it's a big market. WordPress is is pretty huge. Um, so that's all the stories that we have for this week. And yeah, so that's it. So uh, right up on the time. So Chris, how do we get a hold of you? You can find me at lifterlms.com or on my podcast, LMScast, or we can hook up in person at, uh, at WordCamp Portland, Maine on November 3rd. Also, my business partner, Thomas, is going to be at WordCamp Los Angeles uh, this weekend. Nice. I love that sweet photo booth with the uh, lifter rocket and the lifter helmet. Looking forward to seeing those on social media. Uh, Sally, how do we get a hold of you? You can find me at WPFangirl.com. You can find my meetup at EastBayWP.com. I'm um, repeating my uh, talk about uh, block templates in Gutenberg with some uh, expanded uh, bits. And this week, uh, so Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific, if you're in the area. And I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and most other places. And you can find me at my website, which is LockdownSEO.com. You can also find me on YouTube. Uh, just search hashtag LockdownSEO. Uh, and I'm putting out uh, SEO tips for manufacturing firms once a week there. For the regular host, my friend Jonathan Denwood, you can definitely check all the episodes out, uh, all 330 episodes of WP Tonic up to this point. It's at wp-tonic.com. Uh, Facebook page is WP Tonic, WP Tonic everywhere. Uh, so for the WP Tonic posse in effect, saying peace out and we'll see you next Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.